Hi there. Welcome to Good Life Church. At the moment, we're doing the Good Life series. It's a six-week program exploring the heart and mission of Good Life. So I really hope you enjoy what we have to share over this time, and I hope you feel equipped to live the bigger story that Jesus invites us into. Well, today uh, we are kicking off our series called The Good Life. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be unpacking what is the good life and what does that mean at Good Life, this community. And obviously, it's a play on words, but really, this is, at the end of the day, an invitation for us to reflect and to think about what it means for us to participate in the good life that God intends for every one of us, for the entire planet, for the entire cosmos. And I want to begin this series by reading from a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. The book of Acts was compiled and put together by Luke, and uh, he was basically a historian, and he's gathering together the story of the early church. And this beginning section is in chapter 1, and it's shaped around the experience that the disciples were having after Jesus was resurrected from his death on the cross. And so they are um, spending time with him for 40 days. He's teaching them more about the kingdom of heaven on earth. What is God's kingdom like compared to the kingdoms of this world? And what does it mean for them to participate in that? And then in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, it says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. That's pretty cool. Who wishes you were there then? What I want to know is, though, when it says he appeared to the apostles from time to time, I'm like, what was he doing the other times? Who was with him? Like, so many questions go off in my head. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, first of all, when you hear the expression kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. It's not heaven after you die, a place that you go to be in God's presence. It's talking about the rule, the reign, or the realm of God, okay, where God's presence is, the way things are meant to be. And so um, some of the Gospels use the phrase kingdom of heaven, and some use kingdom of God. Sometimes they use kingdom of heaven because the word God is so holy in their Jewish tradition that they would not use that word. Um, And so hopefully that helps you make sense of that. And so he talks to them about the kingdom of God, and once... When he was eating with them, which is something that Jesus loved to do with his disciples, and I think that's awesome because I love eating. And if you ever want a text proof for just eating, you just go to, you see, there's a verse in the Bible, we're eating, Jesus ate with them, we should eat. That's not good theology though, but anyway. Do not leave Jerusalem, he says. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the prophets in what we would understand to be the Old Testament spoke of a day when the Holy Spirit, you read about this in Joel chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit of God would be poured out upon all flesh, upon men and women, young men, old men, doesn't matter who, you're going to have visions and dreams. You're going to experience the fullness of God in your life. It will no longer be an era in which it's just kings who are anointed for leadership or priests or prophets who are anointed. This will be a priesthood of all believers. Everyone gets to have the fullness 
the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. You read about this in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit will come. He'll be your counselor. He'll be your teacher. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. And he says, John, who was John the Baptist, I thought that was the guy's surname when I was a kid. I got in trouble in Sunday school. I got sent out of the Sunday school classroom when they asked the question in the kids' quiz, what was John's surname? And I said, Baptist. And the guy said, get out. And I was like, oh, gosh. Look, I probably was being a little bit smart, but it's been a theme in my life to get bashed up once for being smart. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John, the baptizer, he baptized you with water. And that was a baptism of repentance. That was a baptism of turning from sin, of saying, I no longer want to live this life. I want to be cleansed. I want to live life the right way. I want my life to be true and to be just. But Jesus says here, in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism in water is obviously something that Jesus endorsed and encourages and is a big part of the initiation of our faith and that, that founding practice that we engage in, in which we say, and we'll talk a little bit about this next week, my identity has shifted from my old way of being and the way I see myself in that now I identify through the waters of baptism as I go down into the waters And as I rise, I'm identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection life, dying to the old self, rising to the new life that he has for me. This is now my new identity. I'm a child of God. I identify with Jesus and his mission and his kingdom. And Jesus speaks here of a similar idea of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, the idea that now we will be fully immersed, empowered, filled with God's Spirit. And then it says in the next verses, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him this ongoing question, which is, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Because at the time, this was the question that the disciples so badly wanted to know, which is where the whole Zionism came from. This is where the zealots uh, originated from, this idea that because Israel was under Roman occupation and the Roman Empire They were longing for a day when they would be liberated from the Roman Empire. And many of Jesus' disciples believed that the Messiah would come and he would bring about that in the way that they dreamed or imagined. Just so turns out that they still weren't getting the picture when you read in the Gospels. Every time they ask Jesus about this, he deflects. He leads them in a different direction. Because Jesus wasn't going to come as a military leader to liberate Israel, he was going to come to sow a seed of the kingdom of God that would transform the hearts of human beings so that as they go about and do his mission and in his way, the world would be transformed and the reign and the rule of God would expand. And they still weren't getting it. And in the book of Acts here, Luke says that they ask him this question again. When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? But he replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But, and this is where he says, here's what I want you to focus on. 
But you will receive power. The word here is a word that's a bit like dynamite. It's explosive. In other words, this is a this is something that's going to explode within you. There's something, there's a life, there's a power to this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Saying, you're going to go and you're going to witness of the goodness of Jesus and my kingdom, even amongst the people that you don't even think should be in on this whole thing, and to the ends of the earth. Now, they don't fully understand what this is all about at the moment. In Acts chapter 10, we have the story of Peter, Simon Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, but God reinstates and restores him. He has this vision in which God tells him through this vision that all the people that you think can't be in on this thing, they get to be in on it. Don't you call unclean what I call clean. Which was confusing for him because the Jews had some pretty strict rules and regulations around who was in and who was out. But we see time and time again, Jesus breaking down these barriers. And so now they're going to end up being witnesses of Jesus' kingdom all throughout the earth. Now, this is our text that I want us to sit on. I'd love you to read it through during the week. But I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes. But I want to begin by asking this question. And that is, what's my purpose? If I walked up to you individually and I said, hey, what's your purpose? What would you say? Now, some of you have been to a course. You've been in a program where you learnt and you came up with a statement. You said, this is my purpose statement. I've been in those. I've taught those. I help people get clear on this. And that's helpful to a certain degree. And I'm a fan of that, which is even why we have a mission statement as a church. And we have a purpose statement as a community center. And so very beautiful children's pastor just walked into the building. (laughs) Going to try and arrange a date with her later. Um, But here's, here's the thing. They're very helpful for us because they can give us clarity on what am I trying to do today? When I wake up in the morning, what am I waking up to do? Who am I waking up to be? What is this all about? And it's a great question to reflect on, and we're going to spend a few minutes today reflecting on this. And in this first week, we've summarized this first week's session as, in the good life, is mission, with three words, shalom, discipleship, and mission. And in our small groups this week, we'll be unpacking this a little bit more. And I want to share with you today a brief formula that you probably won't be able to memorize or remember, but it was my best attempt to try to make sense of what I'm articulating today. And here's what the formula is on the next slide. It's this. A vision of shalom, I'll come back to that word in a moment, plus equipped discipleship, which is learning the way, plus mission, which is going on mission or sharing shalom, equals the restoration of all things. What does that mean? We're going to unpack this for the next few minutes. I want to start with shalom, a vision of shalom. As Christians, our theology does not begin in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. Our theology does not begin with the world is broken. Our theology does not begin with the world has sinned. Our theology begins in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, 
where we have the beautiful picture of the creation of the world, which is a counter-narrative to often the Babylonian and other pagan stories of how the world came about, which when you compare them, it's very fascinating because you see the power and the beauty of God's people who articulate the story inspired by the Spirit that the gods are not angry with the world, but there is a God who is a beautiful, who is a good and loving God who has created the world and it's magnificent. And all the way through chapter one, there is a line that is repeated at the end of each section of the story of creation that says, and it is good, and it was good. It's the goodness of God, it's the goodness of creation that we have in the beginning. Now the word shalom is a Hebrew word and this Hebrew word is often translated as peace. We talk about this quite a bit because it's such an important thing to get your head around. But this word it doesn't mean how we typically refer to it as the absence of conflict. Or perhaps we talk about peace in a personal sense of calm. But the word shalom means peace in the broadest sense as wholeness, well-being, abundance. It's a way to speak about God's perfect creation. And Genesis chapter 1, though the word shalom is not used in it, is a picture of shalom. The word shalom is used over 500 times in, across the, the Old and New Testaments of the Scripture. And it's used in many different ways, and there are many different variations of the word shalom. It's often used as a greeting, sometimes as a blessing, as death approaches, a blessing for safe travel. It includes the absence of conflict. It's used in connection to restoration of relationships. And it's used most classically in Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount when he teaches in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, those who do peace, they are the children of God, the peacemakers, or as some theologians say, shalom doers. I love that phrase. Isaiah, the prophet, has a description of the coming righteous king or messiah and this gives us as Christians one of our favorite titles for our Savior, for our God. And that is the phrase, Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 declares this. He will be the Prince of Peace. The word there is Prince of Shalom. I would love it if all together this morning, we could say, firstly, Prince of Peace and then Prince of Shalom, meaning the same thing. But as you say it, I want you to be creative and imaginative with me for a moment. And I want you to imagine that as we're saying it as a community, we're declaring a reality. We're declaring this over our lives, our hearts, our minds. And we're declaring that our God, our Savior, this is who He is, and this is what He has for all humanity. So let's do that together if we can. We're going to begin Prince of Peace and then Prince of Shalom. After three. One, two, three. This is our hope. Now, the scripture goes on in Genesis chapter three and the following passages 
to talk about the breaking of shalom. From the Reformed Theological College in the United States, Cornelius Plantinga Jr. has an epic description that's quoted many, many times in many books. The amount of times I've seen this same quote used by other theologians is pretty classic. And he defines sin as the culpable disturbance of shalom. Now, if you've been around Christianity for a while, you know the word sin is most often translated and literally expressed as missing the mark. But often we don't know how to make sense of what does missing the mark mean? What is the mark? What is the thing that we're actually falling short of? Like, what is that? What does that look like? And this is why Cornelius Plantinga Jr. articulates it by saying when you understand the big picture of Scripture and the unfolding, the original intention of God for humanity, and then the breaking of that shalom, which we often refer to as the fall of humanity, Genesis 3 onwards, this is human beings not trusting God's goodness and His ways, abandoning the way of shalom, peace, harmony, goodness, the way God intends things for to be, and instead rejecting God's way of love and embracing the way of self-centeredness. Culpable disturbance means I'm responsible and I'm disturbing the way things are meant to be. So when we see Cain and Abel, when we see Cain fight and ultimately kill his brother, when we see the ongoing destruction of humanity that's about selfishness and empire and violence and controlling others. We see the picture and the unfolding story of humanity of a world that has abandoned the gift of shalom and instead embraced sin, the disturbance of shalom, everything that undermines, that attacks that breaks this, peace with humanity, peace with God. And so we have this story of shalom lost, but so amazingly, so soon into the book of Genesis and the story of God, we see God's faithfulness, God's heart of humanity, as God begins to call people back to restoration. We see this through the life of Abraham, God calls Abraham, and in the natural, Abraham wants to have children. His name was first Abram, and then became Abraham. And he had a desire to have children. He couldn't have children. God made him a promise he'd have children. But as God so often does, we have our personal story, but then God's up to a bigger story. Ever notice that? We have our personal desire. My friend Eloise Wellings that shared her testimony and story here, we've often talked about this because Eloise... Uh, if you remember when she was here, she's a um, three-time Olympian. And she became a follower of Jesus in our youth group. And I saw the transformation of her journey. She ended up at church because she was devastated because she missed out on the Olympics as a 17-year-old, got suited up and didn't get to enter into the Olympics. And a friend of hers in our youth group invited her to church. And she came, she was um, disillusioned, disappointed, struggling, depressed, had an eating disorder, had um, uh, uh, bone fractures, all kinds of challenges going on, and she found hope in Christ. And years and years on, as her siblings came to faith, 
We had this conversation where we were talking about how God has used her journey, her desire to be an Olympian and a runner because she was very good at running. But how that story got caught up in a far bigger story and how the story of what, how God would use her running, she thought the dream was to run and make it to the Olympics. But God had a bigger plan in which she would use that platform that God had given her out of her passion and desire to be part of something in which in front of millions of people, she could put her hand up even against the rules and have love mercy written on her hand that went to millions of people around the world, which was the name of the charity that her and Julius Achon set up in Uganda. And now 20,000 women plus per year are part of an agricultural program that's seeing so many people um, experience um, you know, health and wholeness and wellness and uh, thriving businesses and, and move out of poverty. And this is an example of how God takes our brokenness, God takes our story and he reshapes it. So when God comes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have children. You'll have to trust me on that, even though he didn't. But I'm going to make you the father of many nations and through you, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations will be blessed. This is always what God's blessing is about. God blesses us so that the world around us can experience blessing. And so from this point onwards, we see God's story through his people because God always works through a body because God is spirit, calling the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations. They fail miserably time and time again. The prophets keep trying to call them back to who they are. Finally, Jesus, the Messiah, God in human flesh, arrives to show us fully what this looks like. And this is the beginning of shalom restored as through Jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven being established and inaugurated on the earth, his death and his resurrection life. He begins his reign and his rule fully. And as the prophet Isaiah said, this reign will not end. It's a beautiful kingdom. It's a beautiful story. And all of God's people, all of God's disciples get to be part of this. And this is what shapes our mission as the rain comes down. If you're listening or watching to this online, it's now raining on us. But there's a roof. But sorry for some of you that may get some raindrops on you. So our mission statement as a church, we unpacked yet last week, we says is this, is to equip people to live the bigger story. And this is because Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you. So Jesus has shown us by his life, now invites us to both go and make disciples, apprentices that look like him and his kingdom, and to live out the bigger story. You've got your story, God's doing something bigger in the earth. And he invites every one of us to be part of this. And so we get to this formula again, which is a vision of shalom plus equipped people, which is discipleship, learning the way of Jesus. When you get the vision right, of how God intends things to be. A simple way I like to refer to it as, is every time you see hell, or you see the results of the disturbance of shalom, our invitation as God's people is to go into those spaces and to bring the life of heaven. Wherever there's hell, we bring heaven. That's our mission. This is the bigger story. And that's what all Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God was all about. But it doesn't happen unless we become his disciples. And so this is so important that we learn this way. Mike Breen said, if you try to build the church 
you may get disciples. But if you make disciples, you'll get the church every time. You may have to sit with that for a few minutes. But so often we've been like, let's build a great church and we focus on trying to build an organisation or a community and make things happen. Whereas if we actually make disciples who increasingly look like Jesus, you get the church that Jesus dreamed of. Does that make sense? So if you have a look at the picture that we had today, we talk about four different environments here at Good Life. The neighbourhood, our foyer, our lounge room, our kitchen, But today we're talking about the neighborhood. What does it look like for us to go on mission and to bring about Jesus' life of heaven wherever we go in the earth? And one of the critical things that's important to understand is who we are and what's within us is what we have to offer to the world. Some of you will be familiar with Brennan Manning, an incredible author, who in his book, The Signature of Jesus, he wrote these words, the greatest need for our time is for the church to become what it has seldom been. The body of Christ with its face to the world, loving others regardless of religion or culture. That should be not purring, but pouring itself out. You may need to purr sometimes if you find a cat lover, if that helps. But but pouring itself out in a life of service, offering hope to a frightened world and presenting itself as a real alternative to the existing arrangement. Wow, I love this picture. Now, here's the problem. John Mark Comer, in an interview I watched recently, he wrote the book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is a phrase from Dallas Willard. He talks about the crisis the church has at the moment in the fact that we do not have well-formed disciples who are increasingly looking like Jesus. And so this is why when we look at Acts chapter 1, It's important that we understand when Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you have the gift of the Spirit. The principle at work here is allow the Holy Spirit of God to baptize you, to fill you, to transform you, to shape you. Don't try and go and do God's mission in the world without God's presence with you, which was what the Israelites did. Any of their challenges and adventures, it was always remember the presence of the Lord with you. And the musicians would go out in front declaring before them, remember the Lord. We praise, it's God's presence, it's God's power that helps us be effective in anything that we have. Now, quickly, I need two volunteers. I need a volunteer from this side that will just come up on stage because I've got something for you to give out to everyone here. I need a volunteer from this side, someone that can jump up here and hand out what I have. I have two bags down the front here that are full. Thank you so much. Have we got a volunteer on this side? Yes, excellent. Thank you very much. All right, just come up on stage for a moment. Now, this is cool. This is like an Oprah, Ellen kind of moment. You came to church. Woo, we we get something. That's pretty cool, right? Um, Can you tell everyone what your name is? Adam. Adam. I haven't met you before, Adam. Nice to meet you. Or have I met you before? Uh, Awkward. (laughs) That was a good chat we had. (laughs) Tell everyone your name. Bronwyn. Bronwyn. Have we met before? Definitely. We definitely have. That is correct. All right. Now, uh, Bronwyn, I've got a bag here for you. If you could just take that and, and just hold it just for a moment. I've got a bag here for you. Could you just take that? Okay, just hold that. All right, excellent. Now, you both got a bag that's full. 
Um, I would love you to go and to distribute the stuff that's in there to the people on this side, as many people as you can, just with what's in there, as fast as you can. And if you could go and distribute what you have in your bag to everyone on this side, just give them out. If they look like they're willing to receive, then just hand it to that person that's smiling at you. Oh, look at that. Very nice. What have you got there? Grapes. Beautiful. They're fresh uh, from this morning, Mountain Creek grown, or at least in the Woolworths. Oh, by the way, I, I was told myself I'm not going to mention brands this morning, so apologies. Now, while they're doing that, let me just tell you this. This is going to be challenging as a communicator to do this while there's a distraction going on in the house, but I did do youth ministry for a long time, so I'm used to it. Here's the deal. We need to be equipped so that what we offer to the world looks like Jesus. But if God's Spirit and life isn't in us, we can't bear the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, um, all of those nine fruits that are there that I can't remember right this second. So the point is we have to be formed by God. We've got to allow God to transform us and shape us so that what we offer the world looks like God's shalom. Now in a moment, I want to pull this together because at the end of the day, here's how this works. Our mission to the world is as effective as our lives are shaped by Christ. When you have a vision of what the world's meant to be like, and you understand God's commitment to redeem and restore all things, which is the theme through the New Testament, or the whole of Scripture, it's the theme of the book of Revelation, that God is making all things new, He's redeeming and restoring all things. Chapter 1 of Colossians, chapter 1 of Ephesians, it's all about God's restoration of all things, and that we're invited to play our part in that. So when I say, what's your purpose? Your purpose is, understand the vision. Get yourself as equipped as possible. As we said last week, bring someone along with you and go on mission to the neighborhood to do whatever you have with whatever God has put in your life. And remember this, your job is not to fill someone else's cup. Your job is to empty yours. You might not be able to fill everybody else's cup, but you can give them what you do have. The measure that God pours into your life, your job is pour that out into someone. Someone else will come along in God's purposes and fill that person's cup. Now, it looks like over here, we're getting some pretty amazing things. What have we got? A straw, paper plate, a serviette. That's just weird. What have you guys got over here? What have we got there? Lemons, a bag of lemons. We've got oranges over here. Limes, they're one of my favourite. I love limes. Put lime on watermelon today. Oh, it's so nice. Um, what else we got? Apples. A juice, a, a very nice juice. Uh, if you don't want it, can you give it to me afterwards? Um, what else we got? Who got the coconut? Someone got a coconut. And we've got grapes and kiwi fruit. All right, now, anyone on this side wishing you were on that side? Right. Now, here's the thing. God can use the serviette and the straw and whatever's in the bag. But I tell you what, I think the world's tired of us offering something that's a bit useless, that doesn't look like Jesus. We want the fruit of the Spirit in our life. You have to go with the metaphor and illustration here. 
when God's working and transforming your life, you got something to offer the world in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to watch a video in a moment because I spoke at a conference last year as we wrap up. I was speaking at a conference in Darwin and I'm a little bit, I have never spoken to this group before. I'm feeling a bit nervous, just going over my notes. And there's one session before my session and they introduced the speaker and we've got a picture of him. His name is Dr. Tony Ronaldo. You may have heard of him. He's the speaker, right? And I'm like, okay, during this session, I'm just going to go over my notes. I'm just going to make sure I'm ready to go. I could not think about one single thing I was about to do. I was so caught up in what this guy spoke about. Tony grew up in Adelaide. He had a passion for science and agriculture. Thank you so much for the straw. I'll try and find some use for it. God bless you. You are a servant of God. And thank you, Adam. Well done. Thank you for sharing your fruit with everyone here. Um, And he shared his story about the mission of God, how God transformed his heart, the Holy Spirit of God in him, and gave him such a passion to use his passion for science and agriculture to actually help a lot of people. Let me just briefly tell you a little bit about him. Known formally as World Vision's Natural Resources Management Specialist, he's now famously referred to as the forest maker. Tony helped transform millions of hectares of dry land in Niger for many people. Five million hectares of land with over 200 million trees have been restored through his work. This is equated to 50,000 more tonnes of grain being harvested, two and a half million people benefiting from the improved use of the land. When he went to this nation of Niger, they told him the land is dead. He didn't believe them. He believed in a God of restoration. He believed that what God has done through Christ and in his own life, God could also do in the earth. I was a wreck after his session. I was like, oh my goodness. But what it reminded me, you might be sitting there thinking, I haven't got much. He didn't think he had much. He just thought, how will God ever use me? I love science. I love agriculture. But he caught a vision of shalom. He caught a vision for how things are meant to be. And he used what was in his hands. And look how God has used him. We may not be known as a forest maker, but every single one of us are called to be shalom makers, shalom doers. So this week, when you think, what's your purpose? Your purpose is see the world, imagine the world the way God desires it to be and ask God, what's in my hand? Is it caring for kids and bringing shalom into the kids' space at your school, at the kindergarten? Is it working with teenagers who haven't experienced shalom but need to know that someone believes in them and cares for them and loves them? Is it working as a carpenter, bringing along someone with you as an apprentice that they may be able to be caught up in the bigger story that God has a great plan for their life, that they would see that God cares about them and has a mission and a plan and a purpose for their life? Every single person here has something And we're not called to go and try and pull off the great thing. We're called to be faithful with the simple thing that's right in front of us now. And we let God do the other. So would you stand with me? And as we sing this song, as we close our service today, 
If you want prayer, as we said, we're offering this every week. I want to invite you to go to either side of the stadium. If there's no room, just find a space along the side somewhere and our life group leaders or pastors will be available to pray with you. But if you're here today and you say, something's just gone off. I've just realized I'm thinking about life or my life differently. And you say, God, use me. Here I am. And you would like someone to pray with you or if you have a need or if you say, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, we would love to pray with you. And for everyone else who says, I'm ready to go. I want to pray this prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Transform my life to look like you. And as I go, may I offer the world a full bag of fruit, of life-giving goodness, of shalom wherever I go. Fill my cup, Lord, and give me eyes to see your mission of transformation and restoration and how I can play my part with every human that I meet, Wherever I go, may I bring the life of your kingdom. Wherever there's hell, may I bring heaven. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you want to join a small group or you want to find the small group resources and more, it's all on our YouTube channel. Finally, I'd love it if you could follow us on social media or your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week. Peace.